welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church podcast. We're so glad you could join us again this week as the pastor leads up to Easter and he begins his series with Church 101. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and let's join Pastor Lambert. Easter today, next Sunday's Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, and uh, I want us, we've been talking about, and I want us to continue to talk about today, and um, I didn't finish this message in the early service, so I'll finish it next Sunday, I'll start it this morning, finish it next week, but I think it's very important that the title of this mini-series is Church 101, and you know, if you've been, you're in school, you've been to college, seminary, grad school, you know that 101 level course is basic. It is, you've got to have 101. You can't go any further unless you grasp 101. This morning, we're going to get in the Word, Acts chapter 11, and you keep your Bible open. We're going to go to Acts chapter 13 uh, later on in the message. We're going to talk about a great church. It's a great church because God said it was great. God put it up as an illustration of what a great church should be. There are a lot of things you hear about, but this is from God. It it is in the Word of God, the church at Antioch, the church at Antioch, and you're in Acts chapter 11. Let's read together, starting with verse 19. So I hope you have your Bible. Follow along with me so you know that I'm not making, making this stuff up. Now, the Bible says, those who were scattered... After the persecution that rose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. They're still stuck in the Old Testament mode, and they were about to change that. But some of them, who were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. They preached the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people believed the message of Jesus and they turned to the Lord. Now keep that in mind as we go forward. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. So the church of Jerusalem, which was the mother church, the first church, they sent out Barnabas. They said, go to Antioch and see what's going on. That's what it means. And so Barnabas came And when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was joyful. And he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should cleave with the Lord, continue with the Lord. For Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was filled with faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord because of Barnabas' ministry. That's what we're led to believe. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus, to seek Saul. Barnabas said, hey, there's a lot going on here. I didn't realize it was this big a deal. And so Barnabas said, this church needs the right preacher. They need the right staff. So verse 26, he found Saul and he brought him back to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year, they assembled. That word assemble, ecclesia. They church. They gathered the church together and they taught a great many people. And here's a powerful statement. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. 
I like that statement. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch for all this time, a period of probably eight, nine years had passed since Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit fell. 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. Later, 5,000 men were saved. Later, the Bible says multitudes of men and women were added to the church. So we got this huge church. Many people believe that in the church at Jerusalem, there were 100,000 people that called that church home. And they met in different places around the city. Huge church. But now, eight years later, eight years later, after this church has been meeting, people are being saved, people are coming to Christ. The Bible says the disciples in Antioch were called Christians. No, nobody had ever called them that before. Nobody had ever said they're Christians. They, they called them believers. If you read the book of Acts, a lot of times the church, people who followed Jesus were called people of the way, the, the W-A-Y. But for the first time, these people, the world, the world, the outside world, looked at this, these Christians in the church at Antioch and they said, these people are different. These people, they're not like us. What are they? They're followers of Jesus. They're Christians. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I would, I would submit to you that the highest honor the highest honor you and I could ever achieve is to be called by the outside world true Christians. Not just some title because we go to church, but because of the way we live our life, the way we believe, the way we act, the way we are committed. They would say, they'd look at us, not just because we say we're Baptist, not just because we say we go to church, but they would look at the way we live our lives and they would say, you are different, you are a Christian, that there can be no greater honor than if that should happen. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so when I see that, I say, Lord, what did they do? What did they have that we're missing? I would submit to you that what the church at Antioch had, every church of Jesus Christ ought to seek to have. And this Sunday and next Sunday, I want to look at some very simple, simple things from the text and show you what they had, illustrate what they had. You already know it. And let's say to ourselves, what does that mean to us? What does God want us to do? How can we be different at Harvest Baptist Church? Let the world call us Christians because of the way we live our lives. The first thing they had is nothing exciting, nothing wonderful. It's nothing to be coveted for after. But the first thing they had, they faced great opposition, great oppression. Some of them died for their faith. Some of them died for their faith. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution came to Antioch preaching the word. Now, you're in Acts chapter 11. Turn, turn back a couple of pages to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. It says in Acts chapter 11, those that were scattered ended up at Antioch preaching the word. That's how it started. Some Jews from Jerusalem 
that had been scattered came to Antioch, started preaching. People got saved. They started a church. That's how this church got started. Now, in Acts chapter 7, we find the story of the first martyr. Who was the first martyr of the Christian church? What was his name? Stephen. How'd Stephen die? They stoned him to death. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who was one of the deacons at the church at Jerusalem, he preached the gospel message. The people got so angry at what he preached, they stoned him and they killed him. They killed him for preaching the gospel. Then Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting, was glad that Stephen died. He's consenting to his death. And at that time, when Stephen died, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. These, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 11, say the church was scattered. They were scattered. They left Jerusalem, and they were scattered because of what? Because of the persecution. What does that mean? They stoned Stephen. They killed him. They were killing. They were killing them for their beliefs. They were locking them up in prison for their beliefs. And it was so hot and intense in Jerusalem that to escape prison, to escape death, people took their families uprooted and moved to get away from the persecution. And the Bible twice says that was scattered. The word scattered there in the English is, is the, the Greek word it is used to sow seeds, and it is in what is called in the Greek the passive tense. Passive tense. It's pretty simple. Passive. If you're passive, you're not doing anything. These people didn't do anything but honor Jesus, and something was done to them. They were scattered. They were pushed. They were run off. Have you in your life ever had something happen to you in the passive tense? You're walking along. You're just living your life. You're getting married. You got a job. You're raising your kids. You're just trying to, to survive. And you know what? You're, you're love, you love Jesus. You come to church. You bring your kids. You read the Bible. You pray. You try to honor God with your life. And then all of a sudden, you're just walking along, minding your own business, and something clobbers you. You get clobbered. You get knocked down. You get beaten. You get bloodied. Through nothing that you have done. That's what happened to these believers at church. The church is risen. They're walking along. Hey, they found Jesus. They're excited about Jesus. And they're out. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, daily from house to house, they cease not to preach and teach the word. They were going to house to house, telling their neighbors, telling their friends, hey, I got saved. Jesus was resurrected. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to heaven except through him. And if you'll trust him, your sins will be forgiven. You get a new life. You get a home in heaven. That is a great deal. And they were so excited about it. They were spreading it. And people hated them because of it. They were doing their best for God. And they got clobbered. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a principle that is found throughout the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. In every dispensation, every covenant, whatever you want to call it. There's a principle that when you do right, you do not get rewarded in this world more often than not. You get punished. You, you can be walking along, doing the best you know how to do, minding your own business, and you get clobbered by the world, your flesh, or the devil. 
you, you walk along minding your own business, you're married, you love Jesus, you love your, your husband, you love your wife, you love your children, and all of a sudden you find out your husband or your wife is having an affair and it devastates your life. It clobbers you and you haven't done anything as far as you know. You're walking along and you're enjoying your life and you go to work and all of a sudden the boss says, we're getting laid off and you're, you're losing your job. You get clobbered. You go to the doctor and he says, you know, we got a biopsy, that little cyst under your arm, and you find out you, your cancer spread throughout your lymph system. You get clobbered. And these people got clobbered. Can you see a, a family, a, a Jewish Christian family that have they, they've served Jesus and they Stephen gets stoned and they got there's blood in the water and like sharks, they start killing Christians. And so to save your family, to save your wife, to save your children, you pick up and you move your family from Jerusalem. You go to Antioch because it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a beautiful place. It was a cosmopolitan place. It was a place you could lose yourself in the crowd. It was a place where there was plenty of people. There were jobs to be had. It was a place, you know, it was just a common place to go kind of blend in. You maybe left grandma and grandpa in Jerusalem. You left your job. You left what you had. And you come into Antioch and you're not really happy about it. Then all of a sudden you get to Antioch and you find that there's a bunch of other Christians there and you get the Spirit of God on you and you get in a mess there. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God scattered these people. One writer in commentary on Acts said, the disciples had to flee for their lives from Jerusalem and they came to Antioch as a result of oppression. But God was, in reality, sending them out as missionaries, they were being scattered by God for God's purpose. They were, they were seeds in a bag, and God's hand picked them up, and through oppression and persecution, he spread them out where he wanted them to be. And they went about, everywhere they went, they were running from oppression, but they did not stop preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, when Jesus Christ really saves you, you'll want to tell somebody about it. Seven years later, in Acts 17, 9, seven years later, after the persecution that scattered the church at Jerusalem, Christians were accused of turning the world upside down. Acts 17, 9. From Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 17, seven years passed, and they had to leave Jerusalem, run for their lives, and when, when they got to Thessalonica in Acts 17, all the leaders met together, and they said, hey, we're in trouble. These people that have turned the world upside down have showed up at our city and I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ, God scattered them, but they didn't let it defeat them. They turned the world upside down for the gospel. And I want to tell you, who said they turned the world upside down? Not some church PR person. Not somebody wanting you to sign up for a seminar at the church of Antioch. No, their enemy said they turned the world upside down. They had great oppression. They had great affliction. I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, just like you, just like those Christians at Jerusalem, I share with you and them, I have been clobbered in my life. I have things happen in my life that I did not like, that I did not understand, that I would not want to go through again, but I want you to know God used them in my life to put me somewhere I would not be without them. But I want to tell you, there's a God in heaven who's in charge and when things go bad for you, if you'll trust him, he will bring it to good in your life.
I promise you that. That is a principle that is unchanging in the word of God. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God will use it for good. To, when it's, it's okay to get down. Look, I have been so down in my life. I have been so angry. I had a lady come up after the early service. She said, oh, preacher, you'll never know how God spoke to my heart in the service. She said, I have, been, I have been so angry at God. I have been so angry at God. And you know, today God spoke to me and said, if you'll just trust me, I'm gonna bring you through this. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? He is powerful. He Nothing surprises him. And it might be horrible when you're going through it. But if you will hold on to him, if you will trust him, one day you'll look back and say, God, thank you for that. I don't wanna go through it again, but thank you for it. Amen. I love him. I love him. He has been so good to me. And there is a purpose and a plan. And the devil meant this for persecution and evil, but God used it to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church at Antioch faced oppression. They faced persecution. So don't get upset when you face it. Don't get discouraged when you get clobbered. Then I want you to know that the church at Antioch had what I call consistent presence. They had presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not presence like Christmas presence, but presence like we're here. Turn over, you're at, you're at Acts 11, turn over to Acts 13. It says, now in the church, that, that term in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and then it listed them. And then verse two, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate from me Barnabas and Saul. And they sent Barnabas and Saul out to reach the world for Christ. But I, the point I want to make there is there were, there were present in the church at Antioch. Now, you, under, you have to understand what a church is. It, it, in 13.1, it says there were present in the church, in the church. There's, that's redundant in the Greek in the church, you and I think they were in the church. Well, they went to the building. That They didn't have a building. The word church, any, anytime you see the word church in the English translation of the Bible, it is the Greek word ekklesia. And the Greek word ekklesia, translated church, does not mean a building. The word ekklesia means an assembly. It means a gathering. You see, the church is people, and the church gathers. You and I we have a building at 3741 South Church Street, but it's just a place to gather. You at the church, I'm the church. The church is not the church unless it gathers, amen? They gotta come together. A church is only as strong as the gathering place. The gathering place. And, and again, I, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm talking a little bit this morning about the culture but I'm not cussing the culture out there. The culture is, is the world. What most people do most of the time, that's the culture. God doesn't expect the culture to be good Christians. God expects his people to be good Christians. Amen? But now in this culture, you and I in our lifetimes, those of you who are baby boomers like me, we have seen a transition from America from being a quote-unquote Christian nation to being a, a secular nation. Do you know that in America, the United States of America, church attendance today is at the lowest point it has been since the Great Awakening, right before the Civil War. Per capita church attendance is at its lowest point. 
people simply don't go to church. Now, you and I are insulated from that because we're down here in Alamance County, North Carolina, the Bible Belt. And there are 400 churches in our county. And a lot of people go to church. And I'm glad you're here. But I want you to know that in the United States of America, church attendance has never been lower since the Great Awakening, and that is right before the Civil War, the, the last Great Awakening. And we have redefined what it means to attend church. And you see, because America was such a powerful Christian nation, they were the most church-Christianized nation in the world. Now, around the world, this has happened a long time ago. Do you know that in, in London, in, in England, in France, there are over 1,200 taverns and pubs that used to be church buildings. They have been abandoned because nobody goes to church. And there are over 1,200 pubs and taverns in those two countries that, that used to be churches. Do you know that in, in New England, New England, where the, the Reformation started in this, in this country, up in New England, there are thousands of church buildings that are now civic centers and meeting places and community centers because there are no church people. There are no people to go to church up there. It's coming to us. And it is such a, a remarkable phenomenon, the, the unchurched. They call them the nuns, N-O-N-E. They have no religious affiliation. That is populating America today. That, that secular psychologists have studied this phenomenon. And there was a survey that came out not long ago, and I don't know if you can read that, but it's the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. The Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. Sociologists, and they list their names, they did this survey. And they're studying religion. They're studying this phenomenon that people in America, it, it's just in, in one generation, it's, it's just, they just quit church. They just quit it. And this is what, the, these aren't, they aren't looking at it from a Christian perspective, but just a scientific analogy. This is what they say. The majority of Americans we surveyed identified themselves as regular church attenders. <laughs> Never mind the fact that they attend church less than 12 times a year. So you see, in America, the culture out there, now you and I are different. We're a different culture here in Harvest Baptist Church and churches like ours. We have the evangelical Bible-believing culture, but the culture out there, what most people do most of the time they think somebody who goes to church less than once a month is a regular church attender. Regular church attender. This same survey goes on to say, even classifying a regular attender, attendee as someone who shows up three out of every eight Sundays, only 23 to 25% of Americans fit in that category. In other words, the best church attenders in America today, they attend Sunday Three out of eight Sundays. They show up less than every other week. And churches are struggling. Churches are financially, they're dying. People. And, and some, I mean, again, we, I'm not cussing the culture. I'm telling you the reality of where we live. The church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, they came. They didn't support some building. They got together. They knew what the church is. And I'm telling you, tomorrow, in the morning at 11 o'clock, this won't be Harvest Baptist Church. 
Harvest Baptist Church will be spread across three counties tomorrow because you're the church. And some of you, God bless you, it's Memorial Day. You got a place at the beach. You got a place at the lake and you're going to be gone. And you'll come back in September and we'll be glad to have you back. But I want to tell you, if everybody does that, there won't be anything to come back to in September. A great church has presence. They have people who show up. And, and nobody here takes a record of when you're here and when you're not here. And I'm thankful that you come. But I'm just saying, when, and there's nothing wrong with vacations, but when you're in town, be faithful. We need you. We need you. When you're, if, if this is your church and you love this place, you put your money in the plate. We need you. The ministry that we carry on around here, we need you. Great church has presence. A great church has presence. And, and see, the, the church, the culture is losing people. The church is responding to people leaving and people, people being less faithful. And again, it is what it is. This is a different culture. I understand that. And if you come once a month, I'm glad you're here. Please understand that. Please understand that. It's, you and, it's between you and God. But churches are bending over backwards to draw people and keep people because they're dying. And that's, that's why the music phenomenon is going on. They want to get young people to come, and so they give them music they want. And a few years ago, I was invited by a good pastor friend of mine to come to another city east of us, and, and he's still a good friend of mine. I love him to, to death, and we, we have good fellowship, and he preaches the truth. But I went to preach for him, and so I go preach for him, and I go sit down, and in his church, he had on, on his platform these four-by-eight sheets of paneling, and it was like stainless steel, you know, around here. And he had lights and lasers and smoke machines. And he had a band, and they were jiving out. It was noise to me. And they had smoke and lasers, and they were rocking out, buddy. And then, when he, I'm deaf, he wants me to come preach. And so... I got up, and I think I preached on hell. I don't remember for sure. But, <laughs> but let me tell you, I preached. Those people did just what you did. They, they laughed. They said amen. And at the, at the end, he got up and gave an invitation, and God moved. And you know, when I left there, I said, you know, those people are different. And, and I'm leaving, and I said, you know, Lord... And, and, the, and his church was full of young college kids. I said, you know, Lord, that isn't for me. I wouldn't go there, but I'm glad he's there, and I'm glad souls are being saved, and I'm glad lives are being changed. See? See, the word. It's the word. And so churches are trying, and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't compromise the word of God. Methods are flexible. But look, I'm telling you, and methods and music aside, I want to submit to you, Larry Lambert, a Larryology here, of why we're losing 
the next generation in this country. And I don't think it's because of our music. I don't think it's because of whether we have pews or seats or whatever. I think it's because of hypocrisy in the church. In verse 21 of Acts 11, it says, A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Turn to the Lord is, a, is, an, is not a passive, it is an active. They turned to the Lord. They changed what they were doing. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the culture of America, church, American church today is we call ourselves Christians, we come to church, we put our money in the plates, we carry our Bibles, we put our kids in the programs, and we live just like the world. And you see, you bring your boys and girls to church, and I'm glad you do. You bring your teenagers to church, I'm glad you do. And then your boys and girls and your teenagers come to church, and they hear the preaching, they hear the teaching, and they know what a Bible Christian's supposed to do. And then they go home, and mama don't do it, and daddy don't do it. They go home, and, and daddy commits adultery. Mama, whatever. And these kids say, hey, I'm going to church and the preacher and the mom and daddy's taking me to church and the preacher and teacher's telling me one thing and then mom and daddy don't do it. I'm, it must not mean, it must not be much to that. I'm out of here. That, I'm going to tell you, that's our problem. That's our problem. I have told you this before. Some of you heard me but when I was a teenager, when I was a child, I, had, I have always had a drug problem. You remember that? My mother, I live with my mother and my grandmother, and they drug me to church every single Sunday. They drug me to church back Sunday night. They drug me to church Wednesday night. They drug me to any stinking thing they was doing at the church. I never, never one time have I ever been asked. My mother is here this morning. God bless her. Um, my, she's asleep, but she's here. Uh, <laughs> never one time has my mother asked me, Larry, do you want to go to church? Because I would have said, no. Never one time. Listen, I, I got a better one than that. When they were having a youth activity or a children's thing, Never one time did my mother say to me, Larry, do you want to go? She said, the preacher announced it, you're going. Do you want to be in the Christmas, do you want to be in the honky cheesy Christmas program and be embarrassed in front of all your friends? Well, you're going to anyway. I had a drug, that, that drug was pumped into me from the time I was a baby in the nursery to the time I left home to go to college. But then when I went to college and I got away from her and my, my mother and my grandmother, the problem I had was those drugs were in my vein and in my DNA, and I couldn't help but love and serve Jesus because I had the drug problem. And I want to tell you, some of you, God bless you, I love you, I'm Larry, I've been here a long time with you, but you know, you ask your kids, do you want to go, darling? Do you want to be in the youth department? Do you, you want to? You don't, when they have bronchitis, when they have sickness, why don't you say, well, darling, do you want to go to the doctor? No, no, you would not give them a choice on something as important as their health, but for their eternal soul, heaven and hell, eternity, you ask them, give me a break. You, you know what your kids need? They need a drug problem. 
But I'll tell you this. My mother and my grandmother drug me to church. And at the time, many times I hated, resented it, but never one, listen to me, my mother and my grandmother were never one time hypocrites. They didn't live one way at church and another way at home. Many a night I'd drag it in my, my house at midnight. I'd go in at 12, 12.30, been out doing stuff that I knew they wouldn't appreciate. And I many times I've heard my mother and my grandmother in that little den around the little Siegler oil furnace on their knees praying for me. Let me tell you something. That's what your kids need. They need a drug problem. They need a mama and a daddy. What? The church at Antioch. What? They're Christians. Your kids need to look at you and say, Mama's a Christian. Daddy's a Christian. I want to tell you something. What this world needs, what this community needs, what your children need, and what my grandchildren need is for people to look at us and say, Hey, they're called Christians because they live what the Bible says. God give us some Christians. So what does the world see when they see you? Do your actions draw them to Christ? Tune in next week as we continue on with Church 101 from the book of Acts.